Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Russian forces on the ground continue to lose territory or at best hold ground. We're committed to make sure that Taiwan has the ability to effectively defend itself against aggression. If you're going to ban abortion, the very minimum that you should be doing is protecting every woman's right to access to contraceptives. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. News and Views for a Friday. Got a good program lined up for you. We're scheduled to have uh, Rich Barris from Big Data Polling. They just released another poll last night. Taking a look at the upcoming election, we'll talk to him about that and uh, a lot more in this hour. Uh, you probably heard, if you're listening to the news at the top of the hour, you did hear that Steve Bannon was sentenced today to four months in federal prison after being held in contempt of Congress. His crime, ignoring a subpoena for testimony in front of the heavily partisan, illegitimate, and anti-American January 6th committee. Bannon was found guilty in July on two counts of contempt of Congress, for failing to provide documents or testimony to the House of Representatives Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack, prosecutors had sought a six-month sentence while Bannon's attorneys had asked for probation. Now, when was the last time you remember uh, someone in a presidential inner circle ignoring congressional mandates and ignoring a congressional committee? and refusing to testify and bring forth evidence. Uh, Yeah, you don't have to think too far back. Attorney General Eric Holder was voted in criminal and civil contempt of Congress by Republicans and Democrats in the House. Now, you can say, oh, well, there's two Republicans on this January 6th committee. Right. Uh, Lawmakers took that vote after months of stonewalling and lack of cooperation from Holder on Obama's Operation Fast and Furious scandal, which resulted in the murder of a border agent by the name of uh, Brian Terry and hundreds of Mexicans in the Mexican uh, citizens that were murdered after guns were given to the Mexican cartel. Uh, Katie Pavlich, Town Hall, wrote a great piece on this. Uh, despite these facts, Holder was never never spent a day in jail, not to mention federal court. I, the guy, I, they just totally ignored it. And the American people are getting mighty sick and tired of this incredibly evident double standard. Since May, dozens of pro-life crisis pregnancy centers have been violently targeted by pro-abortion activists, firebombed. And yet, where's the arrest in those since the Dobbs case took place? You've got Jane's Revenge. You've got the Antifa-linked pro-abortion organization. Uh, and they're, listen, these people are not trying to hide it. They're bragging about it. Jane's Revenge. And yet, no arrests have been made. Department of Justice, ah, who cares? Who cares? Yet, at the same time, earlier this month, pro-life father Stephen Vaughn, was ar- I'm sorry, Paul Vaughn was arrested uh, at gunpoint in the early morning hours of the FBI agents who stormed through his home. His crime, standing in front of an abortion clinic and allegedly engaging in a civil rights conspiracy. 
He was praying for women and he was encouraging them to consider another option other than abortion. He was arrested in front of his kids with guns. Three of the kids were in the backyard on their way to school when FBI agents stopped them and questioned them. The wife was fighting back tears, wanting to know what in the world was going on. The FBI agents refused to answer why they were there. They did not identify themselves. They did not show their badges. They provided no warrant. They they just took her husband away. And by the way, there was 10 others that were arrested. Possibly they will have, uh, uh, I mean, if, if it's taken to the extent that it could be taken, 11 years in prison, three years of supervised release, and fines up to $350,000. And this, right after we had the 2020 riots where American cities were burned to the ground. You know, the United States of America is supposed to have a legal system that provides equal justice under the law. Democrats have issued new rules. They ignore the rule of law. They ignore the Constitution, which is what they want. I mean, they want to destroy the Constitution. They're not playing by any rules that I mean how how do you how do you have a society where there are two sets of rules? You have half the population saying, okay, this is the constitution, these are the rules we're supposed to live by, and you have another half that says, Nope, nope, we're gonna ignore the constitution, we will punish like we want to punish, and we will do what we darn well pleased to do. Americans are getting sick and tired of it. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Now, I, I am not, uh, I, I, I would not say, okay, when we're in charge, we're going to do the same thing to you. No. But, you know, I, we should not do the same thing to them that they're doing to us. However, the people that have violated the law while they are in charge do need to be held accounted uh, they needed to be held accounting <laughs> they, they, their actions need to be accountable and somebody needs to hold them accountable because uh, otherwise i've said it a thousand times otherwise they'll do it again next time they're in charge they'll say to themselves eh, nothing happened to us last time let's do it again that's why they continue to do it they get away with it After uh, voting unanimously to approve a subpoena at their, speaking of uh, Steve Bannon and the uh, January 6th committee, after voting unanimously to approve a subpoena at their last meeting, the House Select Committee probing the events of January 6th officially filed their demand for testimony and records from the former president, Donald Trump. In the subpoena addressed to Trump, the January 6th committee said uh, this was uh, there was a call for testimony regarding your dealings with multiple individuals who have now themselves invoked the Fifth Amendment. Of course, they've invoked the Fifth Amendment. Look what happened to Steve Bannon. Look what happened to Steve Bannon. I mean, this is an illegitimate organization that has no credibility. It's a kangaroo court. The, the, the president himself said after the first subpoena went out, this, this is words of Trump. Despite very poor television ratings, the unselect committee has perpetrated a show trial, the likes of which this country has never seen before. There is no due process. There is no cross-examination, no real Republican members, and no legitimacy 
since you do not talk about election fraud or not calling up the troops. It is a witch hunt of the highest level, a continuation of what's been going on for years. He is exactly right. You know what's interesting about this is they're doing all this in their hopes and efforts to make sure Donald Trump does not run again. They at, at minimum they want to vilify him in the court of public opinion. The irony with this kind of garbage that's going on is not making him weaker. It's making the January 6th and the progressives and the antifas of this world look weaker and uh, totally illegally rogue. By the way, I'm, I'm not so sure if Donald Trump did go in and testify. They very well could backfire on the January 6th committee. I mean, part of me wants to see him go and testify. I mean, now, that would be – and listen, nobody has watched this this kangaroo court. I mean, again, the court of public opinion, people are voting with their television switch. Nobody's turning into these things. They've gone out and hired a producer to make it look like a, a, a dramatic presentation that's got some validity. It has no validity at all, and the American people know it's a joke. By the way, uh, interesting uh, couple of stories out. Um, there is a new poll out. I just had it up here. What did I do with it? Um, yeah, here it is, uh, Town Hall. With 18 lefts until the midterm election, Pennsylvania Republican Senate candidate Dr. Mehmet Oz is now in a dead heat with his Democratic opponent, John Fetterman, after months of trailing the progressive candidate, according to the new Insider Advantage Fox 29 survey of 550 likely voters, which has a margin of error of 4.2%. Fetterman and Oz are tied at 46% each, with 5% undecided. Now, I want to ask um, when we get uh, Rich uh, Burris on the phone, you know, as a pollster, which way do you expect these undecided voters to go? But what's interesting about this and what really makes it, uh, t- to me, my it's called news and views because I get to express my views. The reason why Fetterman is going to lose, not only is he's, he's losing ground, every new poll that comes out, every time we get close to election day, he looks worse. I mean, the next poll that comes out, he's going to be behind. Today, on MSNBC, the liberal cable news network, the most liberal, progressive cable news network. I mean, they're over the cliff. They did a town hall with a number of people from Pennsylvania. And again, this was on MSNBC. The the people that they had on this town hall said things like, of Fetterman, it's hard to watch him speak. Quote, this is an eyesore for the Democrat Party. Pennsylvania swing voters got an honest about the health of Fetterman on Friday, telling MSNBC it's hard to watch him speak and that someone should have advised him not to run in his condition. The segment, which aired during Morning Joe this morning, sat down with several swing voters from Bucks County to discuss Fetterman's health issues. A female voter from Bucks County opened the discussion saying it's hard to watch him speak because you want the words to flow You want to have him be able to have the ease of communication. 
This woman also added she was not put off that Fetterman needs help from closed captioning. I don't have a problem with it. The fact that he needs closed captioning, and she said a few other things. A second voter, less tolerant of Fetterman's condition, admitted his belief that it's a serious liability for the Democratic campaign. Addressing the first speaker, he said, one thing that I've got to say that you did say is you don't know if he's going to need that closed captioning six months from now or the rest of his life, and neither do we, and neither do his doctors at this point. He added that Fetterman shouldn't be running. That's the sad part, and that's why I think somebody should have stepped in and said, hey, this is not the right time. The voter then slammed Fetterman's handlers in the Democratic Party, saying, I think them parading him out there is an eyesore for the Democrat Party. (laughs) Same thing could be said about Joe Biden. But listen, the big part of this story is this is an attempt by MSNBC to rescue their credibility. In other words, they know Fetterman is going at down. They've been pushing this guy for weeks, for months. They know he's going down. And uh, listen, they know that things are not looking good. They want a little credibility for themselves because I think they're looking three weeks from now and saying, this guy's going to get beat by five percentage points and we're going to look like fools. Well, (laughs) you still might look like fools. Maybe it's not as foolish as you would have. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. There was an article out just today by Guy Benson in Town Hall. Among other things, he says, it's increasingly looking like a red wave is cresting. Rich Barris with public data polling and publicdatapoll.com has just released a new national survey conducted by Big Data Polling. They interviewed some 2,700 registered likely voters. Rich is on the line with us now to talk about his results. Rich, welcome in. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So this is really interesting. It it really appears that, uh, indeed, uh, Guy Benson's on the right track, that uh, I was going over your your poll numbers uh, this afternoon, and – I'd be quite concerned if I was a Democrat, even if I was a Democrat in, in, in a district, regardless of what I'm running for, that even leans uh, towards uh, a, a, in my direction. If I was a Democrat, I'd still be rather concerned with these numbers. Yeah, there's bad news, and then there's really bad news. And it is an incumbent first-term, midterm, and there was a lot of talk even just a few weeks ago about whether or not Democrats could basically buzz the historical trend. But, you know, truth be told, all year long, uh, we saw some of these groups that are really responsible for this lead that Republicans have in the generic ballot. We saw these groups basically intend, you know, know, they wanted to vote Republican this year. They were unhappy with the economy and inflation and just a a general feeling of instability. And, you know, we have have some funny things that happen over the summer with polling. It's It's an industry problem that we need to we need to deal with. But once you hit that Labor Day, you know, mark and we start to get into it and really, uh, you know, we're able to discern who's going to vote, who's not. Uh, if it, it, the picture, it started to return to that, you know, springtime pre-summer level. And this really what is fueling this is a return of women and independent, educated voters. And all that remains undecided is that educated voter generally between the age of 30 and 64, and actually they don't have college degrees. So it's an even worse picture 
for Democrats than the polls suggest. And your polling uh, really found interesting. As I just mentioned, you polled 2,700 registered likely voters. I mean, most of these polls are anywhere from 500. A a, a lot of, of polls maybe will go up to 1,000 or 1,200, but you you really uh, hit it out of the park with this. That's what we call it the big data poll. Uh, you know, I've been one of those voices for a couple of years now, even going back to 2016. You know, I'm a... a, a Pulled Florida for many, many years, and there are all of these different subgroups. And you know, the era of randomization is tricky, but it's it's generally over. And you have got to get a big enough sample where you just don't speak to Hispanics. You speak to Mexican Hispanics. You speak to Cuban Hispanics. And really, the same thing goes with white voters now too. Did you speak to enough working class? And that that's been a huge problem for polling in the last few cycles. Understating the you know the working class of a share of the vote, which you know, obviously favors Republicans, and that'll that's a, that's a great way to miss Republican support. So we we definitely do try for bigger samples. We actually spoke to a little over three thousand people, but we wanted only only those we know uh, you know are, are likely to vote. They have the vote history and and the intention to do so. You know, it was interesting because I got down into some of the weeds on uh, your your polling. And we, we, we've just mentioned, you know, the the Republican advantage, but in things like uh, is the country on the wrong track or the right track? Interestingly, when you look over the age categories, you've got 18 to 29, 30 to 44, 45 to 64, and 65 plus. And yeah. there is some difference, but there is obviously a trend all across those age groups and all across the regions of the nation that seem to be in, in line. Now, this, you know, in, in terms of the wrong track, the highest number, the highest percentage was the South, and the lowest was the Northeast. That's not a huge surprise, but yet even in the Northeast, there were, well, I guess the West was the lowest at 66.9. The Northeast was 67.1. I mean, it was only a few percentage points between the South, the Northeast, and the West, and uh, there, there was a little bit of a bigger gap between the youngest demographic and uh, the 45 to 64. But by and large, the sentiment of this polling all points in the same direction. Again, not good for Democrats. Yeah, not, not at all. And I think you really, you really hit on something here that I think is important, which is if you're in the bluest of blue areas, then, you know, generally uh, even Democrats were negative on the right track, wrong track, just slightly. But they're concentrated in these deep blue, highly populated areas. And this is where it really gets bad for them in the House. If you're in a very blue, you know, deep blue urban district, then, you know, it, it moved, but it didn't move all that much, the, the generic ballot. If you're in, like you said in the opening, anything that's lean, or maybe some people even have likely at this point, if Biden won it by 54% or less, you're in trouble you're going to be in trouble because the swing is anywhere between 12 and 16 points between the presidential vote in 2020 versus now. How do you intend to vote for Congress? So it's, you know, this is a, an issue. A lot of people have talked about this, but this is an issue that Democrats uh, have got to deal with. And we just went through redistricting. I actually thought Republicans could have done a little bit better, especially here in North Carolina. They tried a court is a court. What can you do? Right. But that's a it's a perfect example. If you're in Mecklenburg, then fine. Maybe you won't move all that much. But 
anything outside of it, Sandy in northeastern uh, 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 North Carolina, at, at one time pretty much people thought that that seat was leaning toward Democrats. That seat is just too close. So in a, in a margin like that, you're going to be holding your breath if you're the Democratic candidate on election day. So it's, it's not, a, not, yeah, I mean, and, and that was when G.K. Butterfield was up there. I mean, I think the last time he won it by 70 percentage points. And that's now right. and now it is too close to call. I mean, that's unbelievable. And a few weeks ago, people were thinking those are the kind of districts Democrats are going to skate by on. And, you know, not for nothing, it is a little frustrating when you do what I do. There were those that were really entertaining the, the idea that Democrats could hold the House this cycle. And, you know, it is a first-term incumbent midterm. You brought up right direction, wrong, you know, right direction, wrong track. That's a key metric. The generic ballot is one of them. But the economy, all the voter registration trends, uh, Biden's approval rating, presidential approval rating is a strong relationship between incumbent midterm performance. And it just was never there for them. So it doesn't surprise me that we're seeing this kind of a return. I think what, what, is, what is surprising to me is that, you know, the, some of the, the, the gender gap, it, it's gone. It's really gone. Yeah. Men are voting Republican, but women are only backing the Democratic candidate by a few points. Yes. This is the, this is the making of a wipeout that continues, which, honestly, I don't see any reason why it would. The undecided vote is just, if you look in, in detail, it's, just, it's not just us. It is other pollsters as well. If you look at who is still undecided, it's almost like uh, Democrats need a turnout advantage to, 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 you know, blunt some of this momentum. They're not going to get that because Republicans are just so much more enthusiastic to vote. We saw it in the primary vote shares as well. The, the totals for each party very clearly pointed to a Republican edge. And uh, that, that's another, uh, another great point in the poll. You can see certainty to vote and extremely enthusiastic Republicans lead on those as well. So, it, you know, we normally don't see this kind of movement until the end. Uh, you know, you see an advantage, but maybe not this kind of movement. And so, again, less than three weeks out, coming up on two weeks out, I don't think it's the end of it. I really don't. We're talking to Rich Barris of Big Data Polling. You know, Rich, you mentioned the gender issue, but the other thing that I noticed on the race issue you have 19% of African-Americans saying that they are going to vote Republican. You only have 70% committed to voting Democrat. You have 10% that say, oh, I'm going to vote for somebody else or I'm undecided. But to have 20% say, I'm voting for Republican, that's really significant. Yeah, there have been, you know, under the, the era of the former president, there have been some, it's significant because Democrats have to win, win that vote by 90 percent or more. Right. I mean, we right. know this, those rules of thumb. And, he, you know, the former president did much better than people expected with black men and then even black women. And what we're seeing now, and this is one of the biggest questions to me going into this midterm is without him on the ballot, is this going to continue? And I know there's a cap. It, it would take a long time for Republicans to make serious inroads. Uh, with with black voters, but there there's room there to make at least statistically significant 18, 20 percent in a good election. Uh, you know, in the poll, even the sampling error for subgroups, it's still telling you they're going to at least get 15 percent uh, and Hispanics as well. The, this these are a few of the big questions going into this election. Would they keep these numbers? Would this continue? Uh, because the white vote as it gets gets more educated. You know, they're just not going to win two to one like they used to. So they need to do this. And it looks like they are. And why? Why is it? You know, they bet the farm on abortion. Let's just call it what it is. 
they bet the farm on abortion. And in the end, are you going to people just don't have the luxury or the financial luxury to care more about a social issue like that than they do about whether they can put groceries in the cart or, you know, gas in the gas tank. That is obviously those are needs, basic necessities and needs. And when people feel like they're not being met or they're concerned and there's trepidation about their ability to meet those needs, there's just no way. It was living in another world to really think that, you know, the, the decision, the Supreme Court decision on abortion was going to change anything. That's just it. We, we knew that wasn't going to happen. Maybe there was a small little blip. And we'll have most important issues up soon. It is number three, but it's a very distant number three between the economy and cost of living inflation. Half the electorate says that is their number one issue. Uh, so out of the five top issues, immigration is almost tied with abortion. Out of the five top crime, immigration, abortion, cost of living, and the economy and jobs, Republicans lead out of four out of five. And, that's, and, and, and that was with the mainstream media pushing abortion and really ignoring the border crisis. That's right. They beat, they beat that drum. And crime had fallen for a little bit over the summer. And, uh, you know, I was curious to see whether or not voters would refocus on that. But again, I, I tend to have this philosophy that reality always wins, even with the media. We call it the media handicap. So if you're for, for people who play pool out there, <laughs> think of it like this. If uh, you're playing a game of nine ball, it's the media's job to make sure the Democrats get spotted the six. Right. And that's kind of that's kind of the role they play, even with them out there doing that, though, it. It's hard to to refute reality. It really, I mean, especially people who are living in some of these metro suburban areas that began to tilt Democrat under the former president. They're coming back now, and you can see that with four-year degrees and by suburbs, uh, you know, by the by the area, uh, not only region but by area. You can see people are just there. There's a, a, a sentiment out there that they're fed up, and the confidence index we do for economics as well as things like crime. It just shows you that people don't have any confidence in the economy and their stability in life. And that's really what it comes down to, that that's that's going to trump a social issue any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Well, it's interesting because uh, if if our our folks go to um, bigdatapoll.com, they can see a bar graph. Go go up to the blog section of the uh, website, and there's a bar graph on the 2020 uh, generic ballot that just came out. And what's interesting about this is uh, if you look at some of these categories that usually would go towards the Democrats, they're going by several percentage points towards Republicans. I mean, now the men are up on the Republican side by 14 percent. Women are only down by, for Republicans, down by 3.5 percent. But you have uh, a four-year degree undergraduate that's a plus 4.8 percent. For Republicans, which I would think is rather unusual, and the fact that the advanced postgraduate is—it's uh, a negative for thirteen percent for Republicans. But I would imagine that normally it's a whole lot more than that. It is last month. Well, really, it was a pre-Labor Day poll uh, last month. It was you know, high double digits, twenty-something points with the postgrad. I believe it was twenty-six point lead for Democrats. And the four-year undergraduate was a 15-point lead for Democrats. So they, years ago, Republicans didn't really have that much of a problem with four years. You know, if you have a bachelor's degree, uh, they didn't have that much of a problem. And if they could fight it pretty close, then anything below that, the margin was much bigger. And, uh, you know, they, they would 
they would be able to prevail. And the, the advanced postgrads, you can get clobbered by 65, 35 sometimes. Uh, that is just not going to happen this time. It's even if those postgrad margins are are bigger for Democrats than expected. I would I would anticipate that some of the you know the some college associate and the high school and less would be even bigger than our poll suggests. And there is a little bit of a difference with the mode. People we talk to on the phone, if they didn't have a college degree, it was almost three to one Republican advantage. We do reach people through different modes. It's a big philosophy of ours. Different people respond to different modes of collection at different rates. So we we always do mixed mode surveys, and it helps with you know ironing out some of those right. uh, subgroup errors. But it, nevertheless, it's apples to apples, and you can see the trend. They lost this advantage they had with a four-year college graduate, and they need that. They absolutely need that, and they're not going to get it this year. If you go back to the first midterm when Barack Obama was president, he described it as they got shellacked. As yeah. you look at that first, first midterm and Biden's first midterm, and hopefully his only midterm, uh, how, would, how would you, I mean, do you think that is a very, very similar situation? Is this worse? Is this not as bad as it was for Obama's first midterm? You know, I, if I was being conservative with projections, I would say that we're beyond 2014. This took a lot longer to see in 2014 when we were polling this. In the final few weeks, we did see it, but some of the Senate races, uh, the state-level polling never did catch up to a final move in the generic ballot. This is happening early, and I believe it is because that advantage was there all year. It temporarily disappeared, you know, amid the media pushing and they talk about abortion and then the summer response bias. I believe that was just temporary. So it's returning to what we saw early in the year, which was a historic lead for Republicans on the generic ballot, something we have never seen before. So that would indicate that this could really be building up to be something much. Forget about 2014. It, the, the only difference is that in 2010, the, you know, Republicans picked up more than 60 seats because Obama did so well in that election in 08, the previous election. He, he had coattails and he brought Democrats with him. And some Democratic candidates in the House won seats. They never had any business winning. So it was a bit of a return. to They were overextended. So it was a, a bit of a return to the mean with some of the partisan advantages in these districts. This time, I mean, really, Republicans should be capped at about 30 in a normal environment. That's I, I think they're over 30 at this point. We're looking at 35 and they already won or netted almost four, you know, 14 in 2020. So they shouldn't be able to break that 215 right. mark house. But with this, this polling suggests that absolutely now today is possible, and I don't think that this lead is done. If we were to pull it in another week or nine days, which we will, I strongly suspect those independents who are undecided, who do finally decide, they're going to decide for the Republican. It's not every single one of them, of course, but they'll probably take them two to one. So this lead could grow from five to seven, and that would put it on par with you know about 2010 or a little bit more. Wow. We're talking to Rich yeah. Barris of Big Data Polling. Two other questions for you, Rich. Do you expect the last three weeks, well, actually it's two and a half weeks now, I mean, you, you mentioned it could inch up, but traditionally as you looked over past midterm elections, is is there much of a, a, a change in the last few days traditionally? You know, people start to pay attention a little bit more. Uh, I think that now looking at this lead, uh, this would be a bit of a floor. And 
It's a matter of whether or not those people who say they're if you look by party, the partisans are in their camp and they're decided. It's really statistically insignificant, the undecided number there. It really is a matter of whether or not the remaining undecided, they decide or they don't vote. Really, that's I think that's the only question. Do they go out and vote and the Republican League gets even bigger? Because it will if they do it, if they do come out and participate. Or do they stay, you know, they stay home? Uh, I this this is, you know, this midterm, when we look at the likely voter model, it's going to be closer to 2018 as far as turnout, much closer to 2018 than 2014 or 10. So there's not going to be a 30 percent turnout rate. That's just not going to happen this time. So my, you know, if you twisted my arm, I would say that they are going to turn out and this lead will grow by a few points more, maybe a point or point to three points. And by the way, uh, your your poll indicates that independents uh, are leaning towards Republicans by 16 percentage points. You, you sort of answered my next question, and that is traditionally, how do the undecided voters go? Would they, would they traditionally go with where the majority is going? As it, you mean as far as what does the poll say they're voting at this point? So it's a 16-point lead. Will they break like the rest of them? Yeah, they will. That's, that's, that's typically the way it goes. And I think that that's consistent with, you know, the old adage that if they're not decided by now, then they're certainly not going to go for the incumbent. So I think really for the you know, Democrats, because they are the incumbent party, they're the in-power party. And it's never a good position to be in and try to win over these people you're already losing and win over the remaining share of them. So, you know, history would tell us that they're going to go against Democrats. And demographically, like I said, demographically, they do they don't look like Democratic voters. These are pro-Republican voters at this point. It's just a matter of whether or not they do go out. And again, I think they will. And they're younger. This is another really interesting point. The, the Republican coalition does not look like what it did six, eight, ten years ago. They're younger, they're less white, uh, and it, this is a bit of a continuation of a trend we've seen. So a lot of people sometimes might look at the undecided and say, well, they're a little bit more Hispanic than white. Oh, yeah. Or 30 to 39, they're not older, but these are not Democratic voters. They, they're, they are voters that are already breaking for the Republican candidate, and if these uh, remaining undecided do as well, it'll increase that margin. Well, and to your point, uh, and we, we keep noting this over and over again, the number of conservative black candidates that are running as Republicans, the numbers just That's increase right. over and over again. And these black conservative Republicans are more conservative than the white Republicans. I mean, you, you, you can take a Mark Robinson and he's, right. he is that kind of individual is showing up all over the country and listen, they they realize that uh, they've been left behind under the Democrat leadership, and I think many of them have had enough. And I think that's one of the reasons your polls saying that twenty percent of them very well will, will vote for Republican. Let me ask you just a couple of qu- questions, non-poll related, Rich. We're talking to Rich Barris of Big Data Polling. You are located in New Bern, North Carolina. You're a national pollster. How did you end up in New Bern? That's a great question. Actually, you know, for those who know me, they know that uh, I'm originally from the north. But many years ago, I moved to Florida. My family and I lived there for years. But I think it's, you know, basically a question of I am from the north and I needed seasonal changes. So for a long time, my wife uh, kind of told me, Rich, you travel a lot. 
go find me a Hallmark-like town where we can build a house and put down roots because, you know, we never did quite feel at home in Florida, even though I love the state of Florida. I do. It's just I need a fall. I need a, you know, Christmas can't be 85 degrees. (laughs) I was visiting a client and I actually was going through New Bern and it was Christmas time, speaking of the holidays. And I was going over the bridge, for those who know, I'm sure a lot of listeners know the bridge I'm talking about, and where you can actually see downtown New Bern, right. the clock tower. And it was all done up for Christmas. And I saw it, and I called my wife, and I said, I, I think I found it. I think I found your town. And this was years ago. And I took her. We went. We visited a few times. We loved it. We fell in love with it. We, you know, and, and the rest is history. And Christmas by candlelight history. There you go. There you go. And your and your wife's still with you. She's even working at the firm. <laughs> That's right. That's right. She's a and and a, a great asset. Couldn't do it without her. So, Rich, when is your next poll going to come out? You just said you're going to update it a week, ten days from now. Yeah, about yep. Ballpark. You know, sometimes I'm a little bit. Uh, you know, I make sure all the subgroups are represented. So, uh, you know, I, I try not to impose my you know an artificial deadline on myself. But we will have state polling out. Uh, we did do North Carolina some time back, and, you know, it's funny. I, I, you know, I said at that time it, it was a, a lead for Ted Budd by about five points. I just didn't see how Sherry Beasley would make it up, especially not in this environment. Um, and she's lost some of the support that uh, she she had when she ran for judicial office, you know, the police and the backing of police associations. So I just didn't see it. Uh, but we will do Arizona again. We'll do Wisconsin again and Pennsylvania again before the election, at least, if we don't get a chance to throw in Georgia. Well, but look, one more. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just saying one more national in some states. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, let's stay in touch and uh, have you again before uh, before Election Day. That sounds great. Looking forward to great. it. Great. Thank you, Rich. Rich Barris from uh, Big Data Polling. And uh, if you want, Rich is. Uh, shares his numbers so if you go to bigdatapoll.com and you can see this newest poll again if you go up to the upper left hand corner on his website you'll see blog uh if you go and click on the blog it'll take you to their newest poll uh if you're looking online or on cable seven right now um clark has got uh, that graph up we got to take a time out stay with us we'll be right back Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. There was a really uh, a very positive story in the Daily Wire, which uh, really made me smile and, and sort of restores my uh, faith in humanity, perhaps. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor had an interview concerning her friendship with Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas during an appearance at Roosevelt University in Chicago. During her appearance, the liberal justice was asked about how she maintains relationships with justices who have a different legal philosophy than hers. She said, I try to find good in everybody. Then she went on to say that she does have a close relationship with Clarence Thomas. She said of Clarence Thomas, I have disagreed more with him than any other justice, which means we don't come together on many cases. And yet I can tell you that I spend time with him understanding that he is one of the few justices who knows practically everybody in our building. He knows their name. He knows the things about their life, what their family is suffering. He'll tell me, you know, that person's wife is sick right now, or that person's child is having difficulties. 
She went on to say, there is no other justice who does that. She said, I try, but he does it better. He cares about people. Now he cares on legal entrance interest differently. He sees those legal issues much differently than I do. I tell people, you know, Clarence believes just like him because he grew up very, very, very poor that everyone is capable of picking themselves up by their bootstraps. Well, he is exhibit A for that. I understand that some people can't even reach their bootstraps. That's a fundamental difference in how we view what law can or should or does for people. But I can appreciate him. Now, this is the guy that progressives love to hate. They will vilify him whenever they chance they can get. And here is a progressive who works with him every day, sees him every day at work, and uh, she can't say anything bad about the guy. Why? Because he's genuine. The Daily Mail is reporting echo morons have been arrested after gluing themselves to the floor of the German Volkswagen factory. <laughs> you can't make this up. Nine demonstrators went in to the Porsche exhibit in the uh, in the factory museum there, glued their hands to the floor. Now, these are scientists, supposedly. They're not too bright. They decided after gluing themselves down, or I should say they forgot to think about this, uh, how do I get up and go to the bathroom? How do I get something to eat? Kudos to Volkswagen. You know what they did? They turned off the heat and they turned off the lights and they left them there. <laughs> By the way, how do you get your hand off a of super glue? Um, well, you've got to get a uh, a petroleum product called acetone to get your hand off the floor. I just just say. Hey, listen, our thanks again to Rich Barris. Thank you for being with us. We'll do it again on Monday. Bye-bye, everybody.